0: Well, well, well. <laughs> is there enough going on in the world for you? Um, there certainly is, for me personally, in certain areas and, uh, and in the world. It's just a non stop sort of time travel or timelessness period of tremendous events that are happening even faster than they at least feel like they're happening because of our digital age and our our basically our no need to, you know, track time all the time because the world most of it that is affecting even areas that are not necessarily participating in the Uh, the tech uh, immersion that most of us are in for many years, uh, decades, basically, um, are feeling and sensing and going through. There's just too much to process with respect to all the things going on at once. And it's, it's really almost likened to I, I view it as when I look at some of the news cycles and uh, if I want to watch pertinent things, I'll just put it on mute and then see what's going on before. I listen to another pundit yet spurt out the same thing that the last pundits put out, um, even if they're articulate and even spot on or they're very well well acquainted with the problem, which, you know, every day there's a new problem, because everything, every single thing is being uncovered. Now, I could sit here and talk about uh, the US because I'm sitting here, as I've said many times before, but I'm really talking more about the world, the the world conditions as they go along. Um, We are really in the equivalency of a quantum leap in, you know, 3D matrix in the mundane uh, that we have not had in many, many years since probably World War II. Many people equate World War One and World War II, the Great War and World War II as one war because they were really only 20 years, basically, in between that time. That's not much of a duration to heal And that's an entire generation of youth, you know, when you hit 20 or when you're ready to go into the world, 18, 20, whatever it is, So that were wiped out in World War I in in England, in Europe, all of those things, and uh, less in this country. But we are in a quantum leap cycle, in a cycle of gigantic things happening very, very fast. And those that cannot really deal with it, and I would I would count that as people that are really entering a, a deeply elderly stage in their life. Um, and I and by God, you know, they probably have done enough in their lives. They're basically, you know, I'm doing my thing, or they're tuned out, or they're suffering through wars uh, that are going on in various spots on this planet. So. This is not going to stop, it's just going to continue. It's going to... the the momentum will continue. And if you want to look at it from the point of view of, you know, divine uh, or intervention of some sort of celestial thing going on, I'm not really speaking here about astrology per se, but some sort of energy that cannot be felt or touched, more dimensional, more frequencies things that are that are not that are not seen to the naked eye. We are experiencing an incredible injection of light and awareness of all of our problems. And <laughs> a death by a thousand cuts, how many ways can you count this? It's everywhere. And we are also experiencing an awakening of um, very rapidly by those that are are shaken and awakened to things that need to be observed in themselves personally in their lives and what they're doing. You know, do I want to be doing this and living this way and collectively? So I usually avoid, um, uh, I usually use the word awaken more than woke, even though I understand that that's, um, it, it really does epitomize, uh, wake up, basically, you know. Uh, And it's good in that way. The way others uh, that do not respond or cannot stand that particular word or term or the way it's used is, uh, you know, they're afraid to wake up, basically. (laughs) There's fear because their world is crashing. And although it looks like they're winning, um... The loudest person in the room is usually the most insecure. And I don't mean that in the sense of when people are performing on stage or doing work. I mean it in the sense of, you know, people that are yelling and freaking out and you just don't know what to do with them. And they're constantly going against the flow of what is occurring experientially in their lives and those around them, whether it's in their home or in their wider collective community or the world, if they're a player on the world stage. And there are many people that go unsung, um, and most people would call them, you know, servants and bureaucrats and all that, that go unsung, that are doing things behind the scenes that, you know, you'll never see on TV. You know, TV is the retail end or the media is the retail end of whatever strategy is being uh, put out there uh, and, you know, word salad or whatever you want to call it, put out there for public consumption. It's, you know, you look good. Okay. You talk about it on the retail end. you can sell this thing. And, you know, you need that for good and often for, you know, things that are comprised of a lot of ill will. So as I said in my um, Instagram page, on my page, I'm going to talk about stellium planets because I do want to stick to the astrology here. Um, I could probably talk about world stuff all day long and other people do that a lot better than I. And, um, and, uh, and I also want to talk about uh, the, uh, I believe it is... Let's see, the mutable signs in love, yes. So let's go with the stellium aspects in your chart, in your respective charts. And basically it indicates that you have three or four planets in one sign, which should include the sun or moon. I mean, it's it's actually more technically correct if it includes one of those luminaries. Um, and normally, depending on the degree, those planets, like if you have four planets in Sagittarius or any one sign, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, whatever it is, they generally, um, not always, but generally make their presence known, uh, in one, in one house. So, somebody could have, you know, four planets in Taurus, uh, five planets in one house, but one may be farther out by degree. You could have them all like some clustered in the first 10 degrees of Taurus or five to 10 degrees of Taurus. I'm just using this as, as an example. It could be any sign, of course. And then they you know you have something that's that's an outer planet let's say or you know or or uh another planet that's you know jupiter saturn something like that that's in you know 22 degrees Taurus or something like that and it happens to dip in into another house so the theater of operation is the house how it eventually in a retail sense if you look at it that way how how this energy eventually expresses not only through your own persona, but through the events that occur in your life that you participate in, create, stir up, or attract, because the law of attraction and repulsion is always uh, going on in the chart setup and in life. It just is the way it is because we, you know, have a system of bi- duality and binary system, and you know, it's repulsion and attraction. And um, also including, of course, major contradictions. Now, with with people that have planets that are largely clustered in one sign, and I've I've read quite a few charts that have this going on. And people that call me, or you know, I'd like to have my uh, chart analyzed, or and and you know, and then I get all of their information and everything, and I see that, you know, my God, this person has, you know. Five planets in Leo, or you know, four planets, four to five planets in in Virgo, or whatever it is in certain particular houses, and it's uh it's going to be an interesting reading or analysis of their chart because they're on a mission. They they have come in to this particular, uh, I would say, incarnation or life path, whatever you want to you know term it as. It's really your choice. I'm not pushing any. Agenda here, and um, clearly, uh, there are two things, two two energies, if not more, going on here. One, if the if the person that we are discussing or that I'm analyzing has more of an awareness of what they've done in their life, or their adults or mainly in going into their adult life, and they have a, a real deep awareness of who they are and what's going on for their age, let's say, um, they have an awareness of how you know overly uh, obsessed or overly involved they are in things that pertain to the attributes of that sign and the planet and the sign in the house. So in Sagittarius, I would say you could you could raise a zealot, a religious zealot, uh, old-timey type stuff or even current stuff. You could raise uh, a cult leader because Sagittarius as incredibly open and, and fabulously, um, amazingly interested in everything about life and what is going on and, and information and adventure on any level. You know, they'll take it, believe me. Um, emotional, psychological, physical, uh, anything, they're daredevils in a lot of respects. Depending on where the planet, that what planet, uh, what sign is connected to the planet. So, you know, you could you could say that you know you are on one track, and there's something that you need co- to complete in this incarnation, this particular uh, expression of your life path in this period of time, and it's very concentrated. And it's very indicative of the planet in the sign in the house. So it's all of those things and all of those um, permutations that happen when you have the intensity of several planets in one sign. Often they are, you know, your sun or moon, sometimes both. Uh, Venus, Mercury, Mars, all of the personal planets, the, the way that we express ourselves, our persona, what we show to the world, what we think we are, what, who we experience, who we are and what we want. And it's wonderful if there's a directed plan or a way in which to exercise. And I mean like in some ways exorcism, exorcise the intensity of obsession that goes along with stellium planet setups in a chart. So when they're on, let's say, the uh, eastern side of the chart, the left side of the chart, and they're clustered in, let's say, the latter part of the 10th house, 11th, and some in the 12th, maybe one in the 12th house, um, and they're all in the same sign. then you are experiencing far more of a um awareness of what you want to be in your life what world you want even even if they're in the 10th house or 11th house which is primarily the capricorn house and the aquarian house and then the 12th of course is related to pisces so but it's more about how you want to present yourself to the world and and what's what kind of reaction you get on the it, on the left side with those houses but you're more in you have more awareness of it when you have these planets going into the western side the east, the western side the other side of the chart where you've got the seventh house going on the eighth and ninth those kind of things um, when they're in those houses you are far more involved with the complication of how you are psychologically or personally working out these issues of, you know, I want to do something strong and there's an obsession element going on to some degree with stellium planets. I mean, there is no way to get around it. I mean, people could argue this all day that, you know, if you have four or five planets in the same sun, it doesn't mean anything you're balanced. You're, you know, everything's sort of regular all the time. It's not. Um, in my experience, it's the, the folks that own that particular setup uh, are it, it, there is a mission. They're on either personally to achieve something in themselves an awareness, a personal experiential awakenment, or it is coupled with a personal movement into the world where they are known they are, they are pushed their agenda, they have a strategy. They have an ideal. You know, there's always an ideal going on with these people, and that can be in any sign, because it's there's a there's a mission level element going on here, um, and they can come in with this also to balance out these tendencies that are way too uh, strong in one end and not strong enough in terms of a, a more variety of, of awareness of themselves and perhaps an inability to accept, um, you know, constructive criticism about what they may be doing or putting out in the world. And often, if it's located in the eighth house a lot, these planets, or perhaps the seventh, they they're in the seventh house, they're looking for an okay from... The people they work with, or people in the world, or want to be with more of the in crowd. It's a Libra house. Um, they want to be accepted too much. And then if it's in the eighth house, then they're looking for you know um, they're they're psychologically putting themselves through the ringer. Am I doing this right? Is it okay? what do people think of me? What do I think of myself? There's a there's a hand-wringing that constantly goes on if most of these planets are clustered in the eighth house. In the ninth house, it's more what kind of persona I'm doing, and, and a lot of more, uh, there's more cavalier energy. Um, a lot of academics have uh, three or four planets in the ninth house, and they travel and they're brilliant and they write books and they love adventure they're adventurers and they they believe that their adventure is exactly like everybody else's adventure and they put it out there they're colorful they're very colorful and they certainly have a lot to offer but you know their adventure is may not be at all uh in, in, in reflecting anyone else's adventure in life but they seem to think that it might or it could or it can so in the ninth house it's far more expansive it's a sagittarian house and and they're putting it out there as almost like gospel it can be anything and i'm not talking about religion here as people who's who have listened to my podcast and i don't really look at the numbers that much but um i don't i'm not into religion or churchianity or any of that i'm i'm really looking for more of the you know, commenting on the individuation and how people are experientially dealing with their life and what they put out in life in terms of the work that I have done and still do and continue to do. So in the ninth house, it's far more, you know, let me try this. And it can produce gurus and cultists and people that are, you know, I'm on my path and you should come too. And they're very effective. And some of it is can be very good. It can be very useful. It can be very productive for people as long as they're not getting into super controlling obsessive habits of others. They can obsess on their own and have controlling habits of their own, but to impose them upon others and to really browbeat, as the old timey term goes, others into their way of thinking or way of being or way of doing things that's when it gets very destructive. So, when you have a grouping of planets in one sign, it means that you've in many ways you've come back to balance the score to really try to be awakened enough to understand that that there are other ways to do things and you should really enjoy the awakenment of what that Planet in that sign, within that grouping of of uh, of one sign, can contribute to your life and others. Um, it's more about waking up to your potential and what that may be to give yourself a break from your obsessiveness and your control elements in yourself, and and also to give to others strongly, but understand, you have to understand that you have to pull back sometimes. Now, a lot of great work for one's own inner life and, and the world outside, whatever field you're in, can be produced by those that have these particular uh, signatures in their in their chart. And uh, one of my favorites, which I'm going to mention briefly because I, I can't really get into everything here, Uh, But it's a good example. Um, I really like um, the the, uh, fashion industry, uh, the more creative type stuff. I mean, I'm not like thinking about it all the time or looking at it, but it's very interesting because the best in the haute couture fashions and the people that create and want to create in this way, they're really creating paintings. They're creating art to put on a body and a clothes hanger, whatever you, you know, they're people. But I mean, you know, when you're on the catwalk or doing anything, you're really, you're presenting for the artist. You're not presenting for your own personal gain, uh, even though it's gratifying to the ego to be able to uh, perform in that way. And one of the um, most incredible artists uh, that did his art through... Actual uh, physical work with the uh, with material and sewing and everything and came from a pretty modest means was Alexander McQueen, and many of you, of course, are familiar with his work. A, a brilliant uh, fashion designer, and what's interesting is when I see his work, I don't really. Um, he had a stellium. Let's uh, let's look at this. He had a stellium in North Node and Aries, Chiron in Aries. That was the conjunction there. Saturn in Aries and Venus in Aries, and they were all uh, occupying the fifth and sixth house. So he of course was a workaholic, and he was a creator. Fifth and sixth house, which is Leo and Virgo. And then his son was in Pisces and his moon was in Pisces in the fourth house and his son was in Pisces in the fifth, which is, you know, he needed to express his creativity. So I'm giving you an example here. This was a compelling need for him to express every level of his psychological and personal element of joy and creativity and to work out his demons as well, however they presented them to himself. In himself and he was very open about this which is a is the north node chiron conjunction there now i see that conjunction that is a very extremely uh in my opinion unusual conjunction the north node and chiron i mean really the north node is where the incarnation is going this is the north star this is what you want to achieve in this particular incarnation or life or life path. Whether you subscribe to uh, past lives or many incarnations or more of the Buddhist principle in this way. But this is the North Star. And then you've got Chiron, which is the wounded healer, sitting right there conjunct there. Now look at that. What does that mean? It means that I will heal myself and go to my summit who I am, what I want to be and express in the world, I am determined, here's a stellium here I'm talking about, to heal myself with this conjunction to Chiron. I mean, it's almost like, you know, you either sit down and cry and don't do anything with the uh, North Node conjunct Chiron and say, oh, it's never going to work. Or you get off your butt and actually make the sorrows that you have, the intensity of your dreams that you have that are artistic, of course, in his case, in his chart, um, in this particular manner, uh, work for you and to actually release this energy that could be destructive, and it certainly could be, in a most constructive manner in your life, in the most highest expression that you can put out there to relax and enjoy and feel you have achieved something in your life, have peace of psychological presence and with the north node, achieve what you want in life and have success doing it. I mean this guy, this particular soul, he was aware. he was an aware person with a Stellium and Aries here. And in the fifth and sixth house, he was one of the aware people very early on in life because he saw pain. He felt pain. he understood it by uh, apparently by his personal life when he was younger, um, which is not really relevant here for me to get into. Um I think we can all look it up if anybody's interested, but I'm just saying he was aware with these, and Venus and Aries as well as Saturn. He's a workaholic. Saturn and Aries, you know, they can't stand it. Oh, can't somebody do something for me for a change? Why do I have to do everything? That's Saturn and Aries, the constant lament. And then Venus and Aries is like, oh, I love it. I love work. My work is my beauty. My work is my joy. So there's Saturn and Venus are like, You want to see a workaholic for their dreams? It's right there in that conjunction. And it can be, you know, uh, it can be any sign. But I would say with Aries there, no one, no one is going to back down that has that particular setup. They are going to go for it and they're going to go for it to the very end of what they do. So look at those placements with if you have planets that are three or four in the same sign. I mean, it's just amazing what this particular soul did with his particular power and talent. He said, I'm going to take this talent and I really do not come from, you know, uh, especially in London, all this status that you need to become something uh, in in those particular days. Perhaps now it's not the same. But I mean, the fashion world, just like the glitterati and the... the, uh, Literati world, maybe not so much now, but in the 50s and 60s for literature, was you know, you have to be at the top of the chain or you've got to know somebody that's going to the top of the chain and you have to really be good. And this person took and worked hard, he learned his craft. Many people are just dilettantes and they find a way to get in and people help them and they, you know, it happens for them and good for them. You know, they won for some way. But this person believed in work, and he believed in psychological work on himself and putting something beautiful out to the world. He did anything. He was creative. He said, I'm not following the rules. I'm going to do what my uh, comp- my dream sees in terms of showing what life is and showing how beautiful it can be, even in its most Difficult aspects. It's most degraded aspects in many ways when he did his particular shows with themes. And he learned from others, but he worked at his craft. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he was obviously and clearly very talented. So as you can see here, I'm singing his praises a lot. And then what blows me away is sun and moon are in Pisces, which is like the they, you know, you're either going to work if you're, you know, really not uh, in a place to, let's say, evolve yourself by the time you're 20 or 22. Like things have to get better in an institution helping people, and some people get great joy out of that. Especially Pisceans when they really give; they are the most beautiful givers in the world in that way. People that need very deeply need; they're in need all the time. They're in grave danger. Pisceans are there. They are there to help, and if they do it with complete wholeheartedness, they are the jewels of the earth when they do that. With this particular chart, with uh, Alexander McQueen and his setup, his Sun and Moon are in Pisces. He is. It, it's over with. He's got. He's got um, Scorpio rising. The water planets are going. Yes, you have great determination. The Aries gives him the work thing, the ethic, like we're gonna bomb through this stuff. That's why I love it when people that do have a good amount of Pisces have quite a bit of Aries or at least a couple of planets because it pushes them to do more. Aries is not gonna sit down and just take it. They're gonna get out there and they're gonna work. They're not gonna just whine and do nothing. They're an action cardinal sign, the first sign. Pisces is there to to evolve it to to give it the nuance, the um, the ambiance, the nuance, the presentation, the complete artistic movement of I'm going to move you artistically and in some way I want you to feel yay or nay about this, which was incredibly amazing for this person to just go for it for their own, growth and self-evolvement. I mean, he didn't care a lot about money in the beginning at all. I mean, I don't even know if he cared about it in the end. But I mean he certainly made it, but I'm just saying that he was just he was just in the joy of doing it and doing well. And he knew his craft, which is like that's what you need. That's what you have to um, to give your life meaning with these intense stellium planets together you need to self-awaken learn and produce something from this people with stellium planets people with you know four plus planets in one sign they must produce something that they can see and know that they did it it isn't like we're just going to hang around and just kind of hang and uh talk about philosophy or something all day and they're going to be doing something and that's in any sign um, that it that these planets may be um, connected to and be in. But I wanted to use just a quick example of the Stellium process. I mean, it's just amazing. He's got the North Node, Chiron, S- uh, Saturn and Venus, all in Aries, and then that's all occupied. Saturn and Venus are in the sixth, so he's a very hard worker in Venus, in in uh, excuse me in Aries and then Chiron and North Node and his son are all in the fifth house. So this this person is destined to create and to to give his vision to the world. This particular soul incarnation and he also redeems himself in the process, which is the bonus. That's the bonus pack right there. It's like hitting the bonus. You awaken as you move on to who you are and what you want to give out and you evolve and you make it even stronger and better. You don't just sit there and, Oh, I've got success and that's it. He wanted people to feel, to feel, which is so Piscean. I mean, completely Scorpio rising sun, moon, and Pisces either great or crazy or not like it or love his shows. That is an artist You want to move the viewer. You want to move the person that is observing. If they're sitting there going, "Uh, I can't wait to get home and eat my uh, popcorn or uh, have my ice cream, you're not moving anybody anywhere. You're not moving the wand, the magic wand of what you want anywhere. He wanted it. He, He actually embraced people that said, oh my God, I was so grossed out. He embraced it. This is someone who's awakening, who has been awakened, who continues to, who had continued to, and because he had probably so much sorrow in his personal, perhaps in his home life growing up or whatever, or difficulty, let's just put it that way, there were many burdens he was carrying emotionally, but he gave and he... He basically transcended it and he transformed it. He was truly in his line of work, an alchemist, in my opinion. He transformed the worst and the best into even more beauty and transcended the process of just being a fashionista. All of these great uh, fashion people in this area, you know, I'm not talking about pictures or painting, you know, they're all fabulous in their own way. The, The best of the best. But what he did, he not only redeemed his emotional self, he gave as well. And he gave emotion to those that watched the process and were embracing it. He put art, his art, and had people walk around with it on their bodies. That's what he did. And if somebody said, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen, I want to wear it to a club, and can I afford it, whatever, you know, maybe they made one of them. For them, but it, it, that's what he did. It was like walking art pieces, and of course, you know, with clothing, every person in this field, to my knowledge, I certainly do not have a intimate knowledge of the fashionista world. They want to impress, and they want to really do something that is extraordinary, that that will sound out the personality of the person wearing that particular piece of clothing, as well as give a mark of who they are and what kind of uh, feeling they have toward their work, which is fabulous. So anyway, this was an example I thought I would bring up, because he's just has a marvelous stellium there. And he has Scorpio rising, um, and he has... uh, Uh, one 12th house, Uranus in Libra in the 12th house, and then Jupiter in Libra, and um, part of fortune on his ascendant, which is Scorpio, and Neptune in the first house in Scorpio, which is like, you know, he was born to do this, Neptune there. Again, more uh, of the creative element there. Neptune is creation. I mean, Neptune, people with strong Neptune in their chart, there are many composers from the 18th century. I think I brought up uh, Bach or Beethoven one time. You know, they have uh, four planets in Pisces or uh, Scorpio, usually the water planets, generally, and maybe some fire, usually that. I There's not a lot of Earth going on with those people because they're bringing fire down from their, you know, the sky, they're bringing energy and light and thoughts and dreams. And then the water planets are, are, are basically tapping the well in ourselves of psychological wonderment and joy and feeling. And so these people that have strong Neptune, they can be escapists in normal, regular life if they don't get to really express themselves, which is escaping through anything. So I'll leave it up to anybody to figure that out. It's just anything could be drugs, could be anything. There's not one thing people escape through many different avenues of, um, what people might call, uh, you know, deviancy or not the norm or whatever. And, um, you know, that's their way of doing it. My view is if you're not hurting somebody directly or killing or doing anything that is, that really is hurtful to people and, uh, and um, really does, excuse me, really does damage, then you are expressing a way in which you can live and a way in which you can carry on in your life. So um, to wrap up with this, I'll just uh, leave anybody who's interested and is a student of astrology or particular interests in this area. um, You can uh, access his particular chart and and others that have these types of combos and setups and begin to learn about stelliums in your chart or in others that you have. Um, I usually subscribe to uh, the best balance of an incarnation or a person that has come in to uh, perhaps take on more responsibility for themselves in a balanced manner are those that have a fairly good breakup between fire signs, air signs, and water signs. So they're not too heavy in either area. Um, they're not too heavy in fire or too heavy in water or air or earth. So the four, four elements there it's usually kind of spread around um, that does generally not in every case, but generally uh, defines a more balanced persona or person coming through in uh, that particular lifetime. So I always look at that, the air, earth, water, fire, you know, what are you all fire? What do you, I mean, there's like what, 10 planets here or eight planets, things going on here in water, all air. And it is very significant as as a note to this. And then I'm going to get to the um, mutable signs in love. Um, It is very significant, especially when you are partnering with people and uh, marry people and uh, live with people or have significant relationships with others, usually one-on-one. Where, you know, as I said before, air and fire do very quite well together and earth and water do quite well. I mean, if you're a fire person, lots of more fire in your chart and you've got a partner that's got more earth. Yeah, they may ground you because you're always going to try and find your opposite to balance you out. I mean, that's just human nature. That's, in, that's psych 101. You're, you're always going to look for God Almighty who can balance me out because I'm, you know, all over the map, or an earth person that's, I'm so controlling, I'm so bound to my duties and things that I need to do on time and and my responsibilities, and I'm, I'm kind of boring, or the way they view themselves. And I'm very responsible. They, they tend to go to people that are far more colorful. I mean, this is not anything new. This isn't every freaking movie we've ever seen. That's what happens. It's not just opposites attract. It's energies that that are different that attract, which is good, because people are trying to balance out the areas in which they tend to go off the rails or more extreme. They want somebody there to be the other, the reflector, as Jung puts it a lot, to reel them in or to balance them in those energies. And they are important. Um, I would say with people that are far more awakened, if two people get together or uh, or there's a, a numerous round of relationships where, you know, people are intimately involved. And this can be on any level. Um, it doesn't, it, it's not preset for marriage or anything like that. It's partnership. It can be anything. But there's an intimacy there. Um, that... Those that are more in their moving through their awakenment process, their individuation process, are not necessarily eager to attract people that are so opposite of themselves. They're more into the mode of trying to attract people that are or be with people um, that complement them a little more or have a little more of a balance um, that are more complementary to their energies so that there's compatibility. I've always been one to, in astrology and in my own personal life, wanting, you have to have enough roughage, enough intensity to make things interesting in a partnership, which may not always be comfortable, of course, (laughs) to say the least. And the more intense a person you are, it's certainly not gonna be comfortable all the time. And I think we all know that story at various different iterations. Um, But you want enough compatibility, real compatibility, not like they do this and I do this, like this division of labor that's all set and nobody can change their modality ever. You know, this sort of weird boarding school attitude of you do this and I do that and that kind of thing. I mean that's right out of the 1940s and 50s and people and even earlier people probably had to do it that way because there weren't a lot there weren't as many options. And that's for another podcast talking about that. But so what I'm saying is is that you want some partnership the one people that are becoming more aware of their need for individuation, who they are and and and, and giving themselves the life that they want and deserve. And their expression. They're looking for people that, you know, that are compatible rather than having to go up against the big storm every few months or every two weeks or whatever. Those are usually, generally, not all the time, younger or more adolescent type of relationships. And we see them in the most, uh, you know, the most uh, dramatic way in mythology and you know, Persephone and Zeus and Hades and Juno. And these are huge, giant archetypes of clashes and combinations that uh, we do on a, a, you know, a mini level, basically, you know, a microscopic level. But they're archetypes from which we can understand human nature. I mean, Shakespeare was perfect at that he covered it all. You know, being at home, being in a castle, being rich, being poor. I mean, he basically covered the gamut of 3D matrix. You know, here it is, it's not that fun. Sometimes it's fabulous. And, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet is the ultimate story of yearning for love is far more interesting than actually getting love. Because bittersweet love and yearning, the yearning, all the poets, are the greatest romantic poets are yearning for love it is the most highest state of ecstasy to learn to yearn and not get once we get we're satiated we're satisfied oh well that's done now on to the next fish what do I do now because human beings are curious they uh, generally want to know more and they, they're like uh, they're just feral meaning F-E-R-A-L not the last name Um, They just want to get into stuff and see what happens. So when we have stellium planets going on, we're going to be getting into a lot of stuff. And the more awakened and on the road of that, that we are becoming in ourselves and trying to learn, which we can learn from many people that that have written good books and that are able to discuss this at length psychologically Freud Jung all of them as well as philosophers I mean I've I in my early years just read everything I could possibly get my hands on philosophers everything I mean nobody in regular old school had to tell me to read you know uh, Herman Hesse or Thomas Mann or Proust or I mean no no teacher would ever have to push me to do that. I was doing that already on my own. I'm reading books by fourth grade. My parents didn't even know. So it was never something that somebody had to go, you must read this and give me the cliff notes or give me the notes on this and ascertain what's going on here. It, you just, people want to learn. So the best way is to go out and find people, you know, and query exactly what you want to learn. See see the people that that write about this, that know about this. Whether it's mythology or from some other avenue, some people are far more academic in their search. Others are far more philosophical and mythology oriented. So, in this way, I would say, actually, to wrap this up with the stellium in planets, planets and signs, in one sign, that people owning that who have that as their chart blueprint are far more into the philosophy and the mythology of who they are and who they're going to be and what they're going to do in the world. They're far more into that. And they do have demons. They do have the demons. And the demon, in my opinion, is someone or some little voice or whatever you want to name it as, pushing them to express, pushing them to be uh, all that they believe they can be. And the word believe is a pretty strong definition of that particular setup. And uh, I tend to um, try to help people understand that uh, belief doesn't necessarily have to be about hoping and wishing, you know, those old songs and everything, and maybe, and, you know, no, there's no strategy, there's no plan in that, but there has to be a goal, a vision, and an ideal. That has to happen. And these people have it. So I will rest the stellium uh, process here and let's go into, uh, let's go into the, um, basically the mutable signs in love. So we're going to move through these and let's see here so we'll first go to uh i would say venus and gemini you could say sun venus and gemini as far as the beautiful signs in love sun venus and gemini and um we'll do that first and i would just say uh let's put it with venus and gemini and I would just give that um that they are most definitely uh interested in everything i mean it's really hard to tie these people down as far as i need a commitment uh, especially in their early years unless they have a heavy saturn aspect or some sort of Uh, square or opposition with Saturn involved or Mars that makes them uh, scared or more vulnerable to being free and easy, which is what Venus and Gemini would be. They want adventure. They want experience. Actually, I would say Sagittarius wants adventure, which is the opposite sign of Gemini. And Gemini, uh, Venus and Gemini wants experience. They want to they want to go through everything. They want to see everything. They want a whirlwind experience. They want to try everything. So therefore, their idea of—and it is often said in many books, you know, on this—that the mutable signs are far more into the potential of bisexuality or other kinds of uh, sexuality identifications than the cardinal or the fixed. I would agree with that completely. It doesn't mean that if you have Venus and Gemini, you would be doing that necessarily. It just means because you have to look at all the other planetary aspects that are connected to all of these things. It's a, it's an entire grouping. It's a it's a comp, compilation of things, the, the whole chart, as I've discussed before. But Venus and Gemini wants to experience everything at least once they want to do it. They're very into it. They like interesting people. They want to be interesting. They want to be have an interesting partner. They like to talk. They want to talk a lot. They want to present themselves as articulate and learned, and you know, and aware of the world and urbane. All of the words that we use, you know, as a bon vivant or a dilettante or something like that. And they can really charm well. They're really good charmers. And um, and they may not know a lot about whatever they're talking about, but they know enough to charm you into thinking, wow, they're very smart or they know a lot or they've really you know, studied a lot of things. They're generally, uh, if they're really studious, they're in the academic fields and they are fantastic as far as dates and times and knowledge and academia and learning all of these things about history in those ways. They are the best because they will remember every single kernel of information. They are the information mavens. But in love, Venus and Gemini is fickle. um, And they are, uh, you know, I wouldn't call them commitment oriented at all. But if they do connect with a person uh, at some point in their journey, that really turns them on uh intellectually, as well as the more experiential side and is open and can connect with them, they are there they will stay with you. There will be fidelity if that's what you're looking for. They will be there. But they have to have the energy of the social life. They have to have the energy of people's minds and brains and cooking and talking and thinking and coming up with things. They have to have an element of a a true uh, intellectual repartee and fun in that way and reading and drama and music and things. They want to, you know, they want to critique it. They want to understand it. You know, they want to understand everything, which is so cute with Venus and Gemini because, you know, you can't understand everything. I mean, you know, Venus and Scorpio knows that. There's no way you're ever going to understand everything that people do. But they're but they're great at literary quips. They're pithy. They're smart. They love to write. They love to talk. And, you know, definitely if you're into a lot of um, dining and, and dinner parties, you need to, you know have at least a few Geminis or Venus and Geminis there because, you know, Venus is about the social graces and, and interacting with the humans and enjoying and having all of the fun things that go on, the things that are not in conformity with the process. They, they do not like conformity, although they will conform and, um, but they don't like it generally. And they do things to piss people off constantly, which they love to do. And they're tricksters and they're practical jokers. But Venus and Gemini is, if you want fun and adventure or you want far more of a lively partner or a person to know and be with in that way, they are the ones for you. I mean, personally speaking, I would um, certainly... uh, you know, certainly invite them to any dinner party. And I certainly do enjoy either Sun or Venus in Gemini uh, in those instances. Uh, Maybe Mercury, it's fine, but that's kind of overdone. You know, Mercury and Gemini, Jesus, I mean, you'll be talking with them all night. Um, It never ends. uh, But uh, they're great. They're socially very, they're usually very charming. And they're very fun. And they can be very real. In their assessment of things, even though people tend to go, oh, they don't know what they're talking about, but they tend to be kind of spot on. They just do it in a manner that is almost, that's so cavalier, nobody can take it seriously. And it's just the way they present it. It's the presentation. You know, when, when uh, Venus in Scorpio or Venus in Capricorn says something or presents some problem or whatever in the relationship, you know, boy, you really take it seriously. They're laying the hammer on your head. But when Venus in Gemini is just kind of talking about this is, What is going on for me, and I need to communicate. They are definitely need to communicate their love. It has to be somewhat verbal. Some of their love instincts in that way can't just be, you know, dead silence and things happen, and that's not going to work. They have to do that. That's part of their nature, and it's they're lively and they're fun. So that's you know Venus and Gemini in love. So let's go to uh, Venus and Virgo. Very, very different situation. Um, so Venus and Virgo is serious. Uh, they do not mess around in love or if they want a partner or if they are connected to a partner. They are. They will either be an awakener of the partner to be more considerate of them and what they offer them. They do a lot of work for their partners. They really do. But they cannot really go on for very long because they can turn into doormats. You know, I'll do anything for you. They need to move beyond that Virgo supplicancy and servitude sort of attitude with anybody that they truly love or want to care for. It, it becomes too burdensome for the person receiving it, unless you're, you know, at death's door and you certainly need it, or the or themselves, the person giving it. There is too much of a servile uh, attitude if it's not checked. They Love is great and giving and sharing and being there for your partner is the most magnificent thing, but you cannot become a doormat with Venus and Virgo. You've got to be aware that, the, you know, your partner or your friends or whomever, your company, wh- whatever the issue is for you, has to step up and do something for you and meet you halfway. That is the lesson of Venus and Virgo. It is a, it is what I call an atonement uh, placement, Venus and Virgo. It means that Let's say if you, you know, thinking of your past life, people that have this placement probably had a lot of free, uh, you know, freewheeling love and time and dumped on a lot of people and had a great time and maybe hurt people and not, not hurting meaning, you know, intensely hurting people, but they really had more of a freewheeling type of existence. Uh, in love, in love matters, in giving matters, in caring for people. And now they've come back with this Venus and Virgo, which to me is, if you do not redeem it, it's an anvil on your head all the time of, you know, thinking you've got to give, 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 and give more. Uh, I have to atone for everything. Virgo is the atonement sign, and um, I challenge anybody to say it isn't. (laughs) I frankly, I don't care if anybody challenges me, but I'm just saying, you know, anything going on with sun in Virgo or Saturn in Virgo or Mars in Virgo, there's an element depending on the attributes of the planet where, you know, Virgo is atoning for something they did and they don't know what the hell it was, but they know, well, this experience is pretty hard for me. And I know. I've got to do this. Why am I doing this? What is going on? But they have to take back their own empowerment. That is the key for Venus and Virgo. You must empower yourself at some point and know that, you know, I'm pretty damn good and I am there for whomever needs me and my family and my partner. So I need them to come through and they have to communicate it. They got to do the Venus and Gemini. They have to talk. They can't just expect somebody to read their mind and their pouting and their bitchiness and go, okay, well, now I know what to do with them. They they must communicate their needs. That is the problem with Venus and Virgo. They must communicate it to their most important partner, their significant other or their family or whomever it is or a group of people that is not providing enough support for them. That is the quest and the um, redemption of the Venus and Virgo, and 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 in many ways, Sun and Virgo aspects uh, and placements. Uh, I have a lot of um, a lot of uh, now in my later years. Uh, great respect for people that have that placement, Venus and Virgo. I mean, I have no Virgo in my chart, so I don't even, you know, for many years, way early on, I just, you know, I've run into them because of particular house placements I have, so it's like it's constantly coming up, and I'm going, what is this, why am I, why are Virgos all around me, I mean, Venus and Virgo, Sun and Virgo, Pluto and Virgo, you know, it's just, it, you know, which I, I see that, but it's like, I have, it's just very, uh hard for me to conceive the kind of misery that this Venus and Virgo or Sun in Virgo or other can go through if they're not met or communicating their needs to others. So that's the lesson there. And when they do, they are the most beautiful, committed, fantastic companions you could ever have. And I'm not talking about having a dog or a cat, okay? Although you can... I've had people have me check their dog or cat signs before they get them. Believe me, I do. And I will do that because I I love animals. I think they are just spiritually incredible. But, you know, I'm not going to obsess over, you know, what this could mean for them. But I will do that. So uh, that's one thing I've revealed here. Anyway, so let's move on to Venus in Sagittarius. Another beautiful sign. Now, this sign is, I would call it the most narcissistic of the Venus mutable uh, mutable placements, mutable sign placements, Venus and Sagittarius. Sagittarius always looks like it's giving everybody everything. I mean, they're, they've got great street cred. They've got great, you know, I'm just doing all this. I'm at the food pantry. I'm taking care of the dogs down the street. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And, um, and so they're in the world. They love it. They're adventurers and Venus and Sag is, um, they want, they usually generally, especially in their early years, they have a lot of different partners or people that they're intimately connected to in many different ways. They tend to compartmentalize their relationships. Like you do this for me and you do that for me and I get that from you and I get this from you. And they're all in different countries, countries usually. They they love adventure, they wanna travel. So if you are a traveling type person and you love adventure, whatever your chart, blueprint is your your aspects it's working they will want you to come with them at least to a certain point and really enjoy the fun that they're doing and they will take you on many many wonderful travels so if you like adventure and you know this sounds like an ad for Disneyland or the military which sounds really awful as far as the comparison um they will let you see the world so um you know of course they're the ones doing the adventuring and they're taking you along. So they're teaching you. They like to teach. They do love the teaching, but they do it in such a colorful way and in a way that exudes so much enthusiasm that you just can't, you know, you just can't say, well, this is just too boring or anything like that. Because it's very interesting for you and it's very, um, it's uh, compelling and um like a drug they're like venus and sag is like a drug it's like oh god i have to have more of that let's go somewhere else That's and they'll pick up and go and you know you take your knapsack and you do your thing and you know and you you know you go around the world or whatever it is or you do things like that and they're they're just into it now people that have you know sag rising or on the descendant or in these angular houses you know they can have also that effect on others and those that respond will move with it. They will do that. Um, but the thing with that is, you know, there are they're they're traveling types. Doesn't matter what they're into—male, female, trans, any kind of uh, self-identification they have. Doesn't matter. They are adventuring types. That's their thing. In love too. They they like to experience the playfulness and the joy of love and all of the different things. And they're. Very open, They're, I think in my opinion, as far as the mutable signs in love, they're the most open. So if you're into a lot of different need of experience, they're your guy or your girl or your person, whomever you may be with. They are the person for you if you're into that because they usually don't hold any problems of conformity and what, you know, oh my God, my parents raised me this way, I can't do that or whatever. They just don't do that. It's just not their thing. And again, I, my caveat here is look again. Is there a Saturn aspect that's blocking that particular Venus placement or, or an, uh, an aspect with Pluto or something that makes it a square or an opposition that might curtail the free flow to to the best of its ability, let's say, or the person's ability to express it uh, in a person. You've got to check that as well because they're are many with these particular placements and they have, uh, oppositions. They have squares to them, Venus square Pluto. There's many others. I'm going to get into a lot of the squares, maybe in the next, um, podcast. I don't know how many of these I'm going to do. Um, I started them during COVID and, uh, I'm not sure, maybe a hundred, maybe, 70. I'm not really sure, but I will get into the squares with Venus and stuff like that because I like to get into the weeds, the particulars of these things. But Venus and Sag, you know, they're not going to be going, oh yeah, I'll marry you and we'll sit home and we'll have our little dinners and you can make quiche and fresh pasta and I'm going to sit here and just kind of hang out and be with you. They're not homebodies, okay? They're not going to sit there and go, wow, I just love this fire and this Afghan and this cozy chair and this pillow. I mean, they want to have fun and they want to be in the world and they want to go out even if they have a home with kids. And it may be someone that you are connected to that is away from the home and you have sort of the responsibility of whomever is in their kids or just you or other people to take care of that and they want to just go because they're restless and they they it's just their nature it's the it's the way this particular um sign works itself out venus and sag so if you know i would not like combine a venus and virgo with a venus and sag which uh it's just it would be you know the virgo would be wanting stability Just as a, you know, sort of a hyperbolic uh, example. And Venus and Sag would be going, Oh my God, how did this happen? I'm leaving. You know, I'll be back in a month or something. That is not going to work for Venus and Virgo. Back in a month? What are you talking about? You know, you're going to be back here tonight. That's it. So (laughs) that would never be a good combo. Uh, Venus and Gemini and Venus and Sag would be interesting together. Um, They probably would sort of eventually cancel each other out because both of them kind of want the same things, but with different pathways and different modalities. So they probably go, yeah, yeah, it was like so super great. I loved it. Okay, goodbye. That's how they would be. Um, So, you know, I would just say that, you know, you've got to have some strong fire or some fire in your chart or other things that would make it more interesting for a Venus and Sag to stay around or be connected in the love relationship. They're definitely not into cloying or keeping you there. If their insecurities are there, they're coming from different types of aspects. Um, Black Moon Lilith, other things that are are circumventing the experience of Venus in Sagittarius. They're blocking it, squares, maybe oppositions, where they're thinking too hard about stuff. Generally, they don't, they just don't. So now we're gonna go to Venus and Pisces. And I have a special um, love for Venus and Pisces because there are so many people that have been in my life and are currently in my life that have Venus and Pisces. And they are like the coven people. They are, they are. it's amazing. Their incredible need for adventure, these people, with their other aspects in the chart. And then they have this glorious Venus and Pisces that that gives them so much depth and so much love for those that they love, that it is just amazing to watch. Um, they are very open and in many ways, psychologically and romantically and emotionally, they're far more open and, and willing to, you know, be open uh, than Venus and Gemini or Venus and Sagittarius. Uh, they're amazingly aware of people's pain and their love and their joys there is a sense of intuition and they do when they love, they love hard and they often love forever so um, don't get entangled with them unless you're in for the long haul because they do they love and they love for a long time they are not flippant but they are also very open they're very cool, they're you know, the last water sign and they're, they're like, okay, let's flow. I mean, they are the ultimate Venus in Pisces hippie love. If you want to call it that for lack of a better, you know, iconic type of reference, they, you know, they're cool. They can live with it. They can move with it. They can groove with it, but you know, they get hurt, but they take the hurt and then they move through it in some way. They do take a lot of hurt, these people with Venus and Pisces, but they also redeem it along the way. They're just amazing little, you know, uh, watery beings that, you know, they love, and when they love, they really love. Now, there are some uh, with this particular placement that are escapist. You know, they wind up like uh, a good example, even though I do love punk rock, Sid and Nancy, you know, two escapists. I don't know what their charts were. I'd have to look them up. And quite frankly, I'm not that interested in doing that right now. But, um, you know, they can be at the worst level, really creative, but escapists. You know, anything to escape the mundane life, you know, this 3D matrix, anything. And, you know, they will do anything. Um, they, you know, have this aversion to conformity, which is great for anybody who loves them or is in love with them or being with them. It's really great for people because it allows the other person to be more open, even in and of themselves, if they don't have that aspect. So they really are open to that and they flow with stuff. They can flow with it. You know, there are other aspects maybe in their chart where they can't flow with that, but when they love, they love completely. And, um, They truly give of their souls to others. They do. And the other person feels enveloped in their soul love and and how they express it. It can be in early love, in early stages of love with people that are still growing soulically and growing in a way that they need to learn a lot of lessons. It can be escapist. It can be somewhat um, dreary, you know, if the Venus and Pisces can't get over something. But often they're more like the amazing person you had that, that you know, cannot believe something's ending and they go off and they retreat and they basically go through their own emotional pain on their own and they redeem it at the other end at some point. You know, cancer, Venus and Cancer is gonna give you a really hard time they're gonna, you know, take you through the ringer if you don't love them or divorce them or something goes wrong, you're, you did this to me. There's a lot of, you know, on and off blaming going on. And, and you know, um, that's a cardinal sign. And then Venus and Scorpio, oh, you better be prepared to be involved with those because they will do far greater damage if they, if they feel that you have betrayed them than Venus and Cancer or Venus and Pisces. Venus and Cancer is like, oh yeah, the whole world, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm pissed, I'm crying, I'm sad, I'm cloying. Venus and Pisces, you know, I am going to let this move through me. You know, water hits its level, it moves and grooves. Venus and Scorpio is directed water. It's a directed energy. It's like a, it's like basically like the, the dam, the Hoover dam. You know, it's directed energy and you're going to get all of it, all of the crap. So it's very different experience with those people. you know they will not sit still if somebody does them wrong. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so Venus and Pisces, they take it on. they they are there with you, but when they love, they love completely and um, and they uh, they often, you know, they're not always, Great at expressing, or you know, things tumble out that they don't want to happen, or they feel it and they, you know, kind of cry in the corner or do whatever they do. But the person that is with these people, if that occurs, or or whomever you are dealing with, that their partner. Um, you must be try to be more aware of the suffering that they may go through when you really transgress a lot of their ideals or their ethics or who they are or their love. It's They're not conformists. you know they're not like, oh my God, you tread on my ideals and my ideology and my politics and my you know, my couch that I love that I bought. They're not like they don't give a damn. they, you know, but if you hurt them at their core emotional love for you in some way, they will suffer through that and they won't necessarily strike out against you. That's, that's the Scorpio tale. Um, but they will hurt and they will kind of reject and withdraw for a long time. And you wanna make sure to be aware of that so that you don't alienate them. They want to love, they want to be connected. But once you totally alienate them by too much hurting, they they won't be around anymore. They will definitely try to find a way to protect themselves eventually. It will be a long haul, but eventually they will. But their love is deep and their connection and their support, their soul support to you is, is very strong. I mean, I think like, you know, Venus and Pisces and... Uh, and perhaps Mars and Scorpio is a great combo because Venus and Mars are very good uh, in that sense. Um, Venus and Pisces and and maybe Mars and Cancer is good. Uh, all of that stuff, that's that's very good. It's a good combination. Um, you know, Venus and Pisces with a lot of fire, too much air tends to just, Oh God, it's just too much. You know, I've got a blazing fire over here with this person. And then, you know, or they've got, you know, all this Gemini and air sign stuff going on and Aquarius and, um, Uh, Libra, you know, it's just like oh my god, you know, stop intellectualizing all this love I can't take it, just get to the point you know, you don't need to keep talking so much you know, air signs love that stuff, so that's really what it's like for the fix, the the mutable signs and I would say in in summation (laughs) god, I sound like I'm doing a college summation here Um, But I will say that mutable signs, Venus or Sun-Venus and mutable signs, they really are far more open in their love relationships and far more fluid, very fluid. Uh, Unless, again, which needs to be checked, there's a combination that's kind of an uh, opposition or an intense conjunction or a square in the chart. But if they have... You know, nothing too intense if there's no Pluto squares to it or Saturn squares to their Venus. I'll I'll put it that way. And Moon, probably Moon, but Pluto and and Saturn are pretty much the biggies. They, um, with squares to that Venus sign, to that Venus in that sign, perhaps, um, they're generally, you know, uh, far more open to be with. And... um, and and pretty good. They're pretty good players. They're uh, good sports. I would say that Venus and Virgo, not so good a sport. They want everything you know correct and perfect. They're they're a hard nut to crack. That one and and they can really be um, nagging. They can nag, although they're usually <laughs> correct in their observation of what the problem is. That's what drives the partner crazy because, oh God, yeah, they are right. Ew, you know, but they need to back off or, uh, you know, be with somebody that can appreciate their analytic abilities in love because they certainly are quite analytic in their love relationships, which is often tears down a relationship or is difficult within a just a love emotional, emotive, feeling-based, sexual relationship. You know, it can tear down too much, as much as it can build up. So um, that is the basis of the the signs in love, which I wanted to do, and the stellium. And um, all I can say about uh, the incredible chaotic events going on in the U.S. here, uh, which are not funny, but... They are so chaotic and so completely stuck in 3D matrix for so many, many reasons and by so many, many people over a period of time um, that I don't think this shutdown will last for very long uh, if we have one in the U.S. Mercury is not retrograde, so it might be fast. And the Senate might pull something out of their hat as usual, a rabbit out of a hat, uh, you know, it's called, I would call it, you know, the the American Cinderella syndrome with the, the debt uh, or the 11th hour productions. Um, uh, they might pull something out to stop that because it will hurt a lot of people that do work in the government and do need that check. And that is the most important thing. Um, in my opinion, personal opinion, which is kind of surfacing with more progressives and the Democrats and and outside groups is if you shut down the government, you don't get a paycheck, meaning the senators and or the House representatives that do that. You don't get a paycheck if you do it in a way that is absolutely reprehensible and is uh, superfluous and, and um, hurting other people. Uh, that probably won't get much traction in the next month or so, but I don't I don't know, I just do not see this with these aspects uh, shutting down for a long period of time. Um, There's uh, the expediency that this whole House of Cards is operating off of in the House, (coughs) excuse me, literally House of Cards, and to a degree in the Senate because it's the end of an era and a lot of uh, really old uh sedentary people that have used these jobs as life or jobs they're only meant to be for certain terms and they were only meant to be that way, which we need term limits drastically for Supreme Court and all of this stuff. Um, you know they are they are moving out of what I would call incarnation in those jobs in the House and Senate and um, and most definitely the Supreme Court, must have term limits there's no more till death do us part that is when a time 247 years ago when you know america was basically an agrarian society and um, we had learned people from other countries starting this country mainly from england and um and uh you know we needed uh some kind of format we needed a way to put things together and uh, people that were schooled and went to college. And I'm not downgrading it at all. I mean, thank God something happened. But this Supreme Court thing with no ethics coverage and we can do whatever we want is uh, tantamount to preschool, uh, in my opinion. Anybody letting that go on. It's utterly ridiculous. It's like watching uh, one-year-olds throw crayons all over a room all day and going, I can do anything I want. It's ludicrous. So these things will work them their way out more distinctively when Pluto actually takes root in Aquarius and begins its journey in October this year. And there may be one small retrograde back and then it'll it'll carry on Pluto going through Aquarius when all of this group stuff will be worked out and uh, it'll be in the process of being worked out. And there'll be a lot of old, old people leaving government and new, new blood coming into it. And definitely things changing in terms of amendments to the constitution. All of this stuff will be happening with Pluto in Aquarius. And um, it'll be happening for a long time. It'll take over a period of time, but it will be. And uh, it needs to be. It needs to be fluid. It needs to be moving. That's what the whole process is. Democracy is not the end of the road. It's a process. It's, uh, it always was, it always will be as far as this particular construct in 3D is and in this particular governmental setup. So that will be happening. It'll begin to really kick off more in October. And um, those that are just blathering, uh without contributing and there are many on both sides will be you know they'll be spun off of the wheel like logan that old movie logan's run where okay you're 30 you're out you're off the wheel i mean they will be just it will be happening the energy is way too strong now the pressure is too strong that's why there's so much pushback because the pressure is so strong and um Many people in other countries don't understand that with uh, Donald Trump, you know, 30% of the uh, base electorate that he's got is not enough to elect him uh, in a in an, an election for the whole country. They don't understand the ludicrous polls and politics. You know, he, he hasn't moved an inch. In his own party, these poll numbers will mean nothing in a year. Um, it's, you know, a certain percentage and that's it. Because he's facing so many problems and, uh, you know, uh, you know, yeah, there's uh, 30% of the people or whatever that wanna live in 1940 or something. And they wanna, they, want, uh, they don't want civil rights for anybody. Um, and they have real problems with uh, xenophobia. I mean, they are you know it's a basically a real issue for them. They don't even know many of them that are uh, against uh, people of color in any way. Coming you know for many decades, uh, not uh, just what we're really dealing with in terms of trying to deal with reparations for the Civil War and for the, for the slavery, all of these things. They don't even under, they don't even know the definition of xenophobia they, it doesn't even, you know, uh, hit any level with them when they're speaking. They don't, they have very, there's a very low level of um, reading and learning and intelligence in that way, because we've had 30 years of a lot of Bible schooling in the Bible Belt down in the South. So not all of it is that way, but there's a good portion. And that's, you know, another story that people in politics that know a lot about it. I do, there's no way I'm gonna be discussing this on this podcast. I'll let Michael Moore do that and other people. But um, as far as this is going, I don't think this shutdown will happen for very long. There'll be a lot of fireworks around it because you know, drama-rama, they love it. Um, The next podcast I will discuss um, squares to Venus and squares to certain things. I wanna really get into the squares. I do want to do that because I think it's an important topic for people who are interested seriously in understanding their chart, their path, what they may be doing or as they move on. And I and, and I do want to discuss also a little more of the Gen Z chart setup because they're going to become more prominent in the next um, five to ten years, more and more. Um and their outer planet aspects. Uh, they will be the marching band there. They will be doing it. Not millennials, you know, I don't know where they're going. Uh, I'd have to look at all that with their aspects. But, and younger or later millennials, but the Gen Zs are, uh, we're, they're, they're at the we're done place. So I want to discuss those aspects because they have a lot of fascinating outer planet aspects that um, will push and progress uh, not just here, but, you know, uh, but in the world, all over the world, They, they have a whole different way of thinking, which is absolutely necessary if we're going to, you know, dig our way out of all of this. And quite frankly, I'm not certain, but I do place my bets on Pluto going into Aquarius that if nothing else, it'll definitely be a horse race and it'll be, it'll be, uh, you know, it won't be easy for uh, regressives to the regressive element across the world to uh, make their stand. It's not going to be easy. They will definitely have a, a big horse race. They will definitely be put on notice, much much more. So it's not going to be an easy race in this way, but we'll see. So that will be the next one. And um, take care and uh, live your life and. Embrace those who you love and be grateful, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of fireworks going on, a lot of things happening, but, you know, enjoy your life and, and also take care of yourself and nurture yourself. It's very important, you know, very, very important to do that self-nurturing and that's it for now.